You may be seated. If you guys need room, you guys just go ahead and scoot in. I'm just playing. <laughs> Amen. It's funny because, uh, you know, at one time, uh, there was, you couldn't find a place on a Wednesday night. I mean, it was so packed on Wednesday nights, and it, it was crazy. It's like you couldn't find a place, and people would just, we would, they would wait even to get into service. And, you know, it seems like, oh, what's going on nowadays? And, it, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with God, and it has nothing to do with this church. It has something to do with the world, and the world is calling Christians, and the world is convincing Christians that we're wrong. And when you begin to deny God's word, and when you begin to have doubt, you begin to question yourself. You understand what I'm saying? Have you ever lost something? You said, I know for a fact I put it right here. Has that ever happened to you? I put my keys right here. I remember putting my keys right here. There's just no way possible that I lost my keys. Has that ever, or my wallet, or anything that, you know, Right? And you begin to doubt yourself. Well, maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't leave my keys there. And you start looking all over the place. And then your wife says, oh, I put your key somewhere. Right? And you go, man, I wasn't crazy. Right? I know I left them there, but somebody else moved them. And, and that's what's going, that's what's taking place. As Christians, we know what we know. We know God is good. But then all of a sudden we begin to question ourselves because we see other Christians, you know, other Christians are not, you know, they used to serve the Lord a certain way or they used to be really on fire for the Lord. And, and all of a sudden you kind of see them and they're kind of like back in the world doing the worldly things. And, you, and, and just keep it real, you're not jealous, but you're jealous. You're not jealous like, I'm glad I'm not them. You're just like, how are they getting away with it? And how, do they, how does it seem like they're prospering? And you begin to say, did I, did I pick the right God? Am I in the right place? Is this the right church? Is this, is this, and you begin to doubt. And you know what? The enemy loves to bring doubt. He loves to snatch away that seed. He, he loves to, to take that seed and he loves to bring confusion. Amen. He's the author of confusion. But those who believe in God's word and those who believe in God's promises, listen, you're not going to waver. You're going to be steadfast. You're going to be steadfast. Amen. And Paul, Paul, listen, Paul, hey, he, he used to kill Christians. He was trying to convince Christians that Christians were wrong until one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus met him. I said Jesus met him. And Jesus struck him off his high horse. And shine the light on him and says, Paul, you know, Saul, his name is Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, I, I, listen, I, it's not easy for you to kick against the goads. Saul, do you understand that you're going the wrong way, that you're not zealous for God, that you, you're zealous for religion? And Paul was blind. Saul was blind for three days, and somebody laid hands on him, and he recovered. And you know what? He didn't look back, he says, and people thought he was crazy because they didn't see Jesus. Only he did. And they were looking at him, talking to, you know, this Jesus, those soldier, other soldiers around him or other people around him, and they hear him talking to Jesus, and they don't see him. 
the word says. So they go, oh, this guy, woohoo, right? This guy lost it. This guy's, this guy's crazy. And, but Paul, he did lose it. That day he lost religion. That day he lost his old lifestyle. That day he lost his way of thinking. He found something greater than that. Instead of a religion, he found a relationship that God himself would visit him on the road to Damascus. He, he didn't have to read and search and, and, and dissect and cut and, and study and, and, and get really intense with it and, 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 and dive himself into something. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. The word became life and shined on him. And the reason why you're here tonight, because you believe. And like I said, this, this church used to be filled. They were filled. They were filled when we had entertainment. They were filled when we had rappers. They were filled when we, we did all these, you know, concerts and, and gave away food and, and all these things. And all of a sudden, listen, they, the, as soon as the, the food stopped, the people left. Get that kid out of here. Cruise. He's out. And so now Paul is on a mission. Amen? He changed his name from Saul to Paul. means little. And he was on a mission to tell everybody about Jesus. He was on a, not only a mission, he was on a great commission. And that great commission is, listen, not just for Paul, the apostle. That great commission is for everybody that's sitting in this room tonight. It's not the pastor's job that has the great commission. God has called every single one of you. He told every single one of you, he goes, go and make disciples of all nations. And he's speaking to the church tonight. Because many are called, but few are chosen. And so, Paul, we're going to read what happened in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Please tell me you have it. That was it. He says this. So he's writing. This is the second letter that he's, he's writing to the church of Corinth. The first letter that he wrote to the church of Corinth, they begin to, to kind of doubt him. Right? They begin to say, like, um, we know who Peter is. He's an apostle. We know who John is. He's an apostle. We know who... He's an apostle, but we don't really know who you are. And who do you think you are writing this, this letter and saying that you have the authority as an apostle and that you can tell us what to do? And so Paul, what he does, he begins to write a second letter. A second letter to convince them that he's been called by God. That he does have a special mission by God. That God handpicked him, that God called him, that God took him and took him from the, the place of religion and, and gave him a place of a relationship. And now all of a sudden Paul says, listen, I'm writing you this letter because I love you. And you can go ahead and say whatever you want. Have you ever had somebody say, who do you think you are? You, you can't judge me. Has it ever happened to you? Anybody here? Raise your hand if it happened to you. You start to tell somebody about, hey, you know what? It's against this and you shouldn't do that. And they look at you. Who are you to judge me? Who do you think you are? You're, you think you're God's gift to the world? 
And that's the attitude, the attitude that the church of Corinth had. They said, Paul, we, listen, we don't have to listen to you. And so he writes him a second letter. And he begins to explain to him. He, he starts it off and he begins to explain to him. And then he gets to this place right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. And I love what it says here. He's, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are sound mind, it is for you. Now he's saying, listen, if we're crazy, beside ourselves, you know what it means to be beside yourself? Anybody know what that means? It means like talk to yourself. Have you ever talked to yourself? Right? And then you answer yourself too? Has anybody ever talked to themselves? Just to be honest. You're driving, like, man, that had a bad day, you know. Yeah, I did have a bad day. And, and that means you're beside your. That means you're beside yourself. That means some, yourself is beside yourself. You're talking to somebody and you're, you're expecting a response. You're expecting somebody to, to respond to you, but you're talking to yourself. And so they thought Paul was crazy because he was talking to somebody. But nobody was there. He was beside himself. And, and he says, if I'm beside myself, it's for God. Amen? I remember the day my mom, my mom, um, we used to be different religion. I, you know, I'll just give you, we used to do a lot of prayers. I'm not going to just get into it and talk anything negative about that. But we used to walk to church and we say these prayers and kind of repeat ourselves. And, and at night we would say these prayers and kind of repeat ourselves. And one day my mom, uh, she, she went to a party. She didn't drink. She didn't party. She, she was a really religious person. But my dad was like the opposite of religion. And when he was doing something crazy and my mom just was, he, she ran out of the party and she was going to go home. She was going to walk home and this lady met her. And this, letter, this lady told her, hey, have, do you know who Jesus is? And she says, I, I sure I know Jesus. I go to church every Sunday. And she says, no, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And she says, yeah, I, I go every Sunday. She goes, he goes, she goes, no, do you know Jesus? Have you ever been born again? And she says, I've never been born again. I never even heard that you had to be born again. And he goes, let me lead you to Jesus. Let me lead you to this prayer. And this person led my mom to Jesus. So I remember that, you know, the, the next night we usually get together and pray. And I know the prayers. And we all sit there and, you know, like we were, okay, let's just say them because, and mom wants us to say, she goes, we're no longer going to say these prayers. We're actually going to talk to Jesus himself. And also we looked at each other like. Now, I thought my dad was crazy, right? Now, all of a sudden, she wants to talk to Jesus. She taught us every night to pray in a certain prayer. Now I lay me down, this, all these different kind of prayers. And all of a sudden, now she wants to talk to Jesus. And I begin to say, oh, my goodness, my mom lost her mind. And let me tell you something. She did. She lost her mind and gained the mind of Christ. And let me tell you something. My mom would walk, and those who remember mom, she would walk like this. And I'd be like, oh, my God, who's my mom talking to? And she'd be washing dishes. And finally, I got the curtain. Mom, I, I got to ask you something. Who are you talking to? She goes, I told you I'm talking to Jesus. My mom used to pray and talk to Jesus. And listen, my friends would come up and go, Mom, please, whatever you do, don't talk to Jesus in front of my friends. 
until one day I found Jesus. And then I began to talk to Jesus. And I remember when I, when I started the men's home, when I was in a men's home, listen, people would all, they would call and say, oh, I, Joaquin lost his mind. I heard he's in a men's home. He's out there. Thank God he's in a men's home. He lost his mind. He lost, and they would tell everybody, and I would hear it because my brother said, and my brother goes, man, they, he's right. What are you doing in the home? Why, why are you in a men's home? You, you're, you're out there. Why, what's really wrong with you? And I, would just, I, would, I just had this, this crazy, crazy uh, love for God, and I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. And I just remember my mom, when she would talk to, and I thought she was crazy, and I said, no, she's not crazy. She knows what, exactly what she's doing. And then several years later, my friend, Pastor John, he was my best friend. And growing up, we played football together. We, we went to junior high together, and we kind of split our ways. And he came, and he came to church, and I remember seeing him and his family, and they were all young. I think Sydney was wearing diapers, maybe. She's like, what? Two. She wore diapers until she was what? I'm just playing, Sydney. <laughs> Anyways, I, I see him, and he comes in, and, and he's not all there. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you. He was not all there. He was under all this different type of medication. How many different medications were you under? Just nine. Okay, nine different medications for his, his brain because he had an injury and, and, he, was, and, and he, he was not there. And, you know, and we just prayed and prayed. And one day he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off medication. I said, listen, you need, you need to pray about it because... I heard stories about you, man. You, you, you need to pray about it. And finally, he prayed, he prayed, he prayed, and he got off every single one of the medication. God began to heal his mind. And then one day, him and Veronica come knock on my door. And Veronica goes, you got to do something with this guy. I, What's wrong with him? He goes, she goes, I'm sorry. Can you help me? And then John comes in and goes, and he's just smiling and just praying. And, and he, uh, and listen, he was praying. He was sitting on the floor and he was crying to Jesus. And me and Jim were looking at him and we're like, now, maybe he should have never got off the meds. Right? That's what I was thinking. Maybe he should have been a little longer on the meds. And, and I go, what are you going to do, Veronica? She goes, I'm just going to take him to the hospital. So she takes Pastor John to the hospital. He wasn't Pastor John back then. He was considered Cuckoo John. And he takes him to the hospital, to the place where he came out of, right, where he got all his medications. They, they put him in a straitjacket. We know the story. He told us about it. And they begin to examine him. And they look at him, and they said, we can't do anything. There's nothing wrong with him. He just has a lot of joy. The doctors basically told Veronica, we can't do nothing. We can't hold him. He's just really happy. And that's what happens when you serve the Lord. That's what happens because sometimes you lose it. When you're in so, hey, listen, how many people did some crazy stuff under love? And he says, he says, if I'm in a sound mind, it's for you. The reason why we're in a sound mind, because we can relate to each other. We can convince each other. Hey, we're not wrong. 
I know the world thinks that's okay, but we're not wrong. Stay here. Stay focused. Stay faithful. Stay, stay in the, uh, this is why we're, to, in other words, when people get mad, they go, don't speak Christianese to me. Listen, we understand Christi- Christianese. Bless you, brother. God bless you, brother. The, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The, you know, the blood of Jesus. We know those words. Right? Go say that at work. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Or I plead the blood of Jesus on you. You watch when they look at you like you're crazy. But to us, to us, we need those words. We, we need crazy Veronica crying and laughing and whatever she does in that corner. We need crazy Loretta. Right? We need crazy little Chris. We need him. You know what the crazy thing is? This place is filled with crazy people. And if you don't think so, you wouldn't be here tonight. I know I was crazy. A little bit? A lot of bit. But if we're saying it's because we understand each other. We know we're in the right path. We know we're doing what we're doing is right. And this is what it says, for the love of Christ compels us. Listen, the love of Christ will make you do crazy stuff. Love will make you do some crazy stuff. It make you travel. It make you, it, it make you want to pull your wallet out. Right? How many of you ever done anything? Some crazy stuff under the influence of love. Raise your hand. Who got a tattoo? You're crazy. But love will make you do some crazy stuff. It make you go out of your way for people. Come on, it make you go out of your way and give people rides to church. It make you go out of the way and help people, help people and, and you know, go knock on doors, which you really don't do it, but, but because of the love of Christ, you go knock on someone's door and say, you know what, I need to tell you about Jesus. And it, 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 it causes you, crazy love causes you to go into hospitals and start praying for people. It causes you to, to open up a, a yellow house of prayer and allow all the crazy people come in. You, they said I was crazy. They were crazy. And they kept coming. How many people know that Minister Jesse was one of the first guys that come to the yellow house? Now, if you don't think he's crazy, you're crazy. Exactly. Dudamas. There you go. And that's, we're talking about something 17 years ago. 17 years ago, he came to the Yellow House. More. What about you, Corbett? This just put it that we were a lot younger. And let me tell you something. Corbett, he's a witness. That house was crazy. We had homeless people. We had ex-drug addicts and still drug addicts and gang members. and uh, You name it, we had it in there. We had like 25 people in there. And they were sleeping on the floor. And we kept letting them in. 
all different races. They didn't care. No, nobody had no, we didn't care. We were crazy enough to believe that God was going to do something supernatural with these men. And you know what he did? Someone say, thank God for the yellow house. If it wasn't for the yellow house, Randall would have never married Debbie. That's where he came out of. Isaac was in the yellow house. Corbett. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's what love does. It makes you go out of your way for others. It makes you to think about, like, why are we doing this? It seems like, it seems like everybody else is having fun. And as Christians, it seems like we have all these restrictions. You know, I just heard recently that in, in Colorado that they're allowed to smoke marijuana at Burger King. At, at restaurants, they're allowed to smoke marijuana. They're allowed to smoke marijuana anywhere they want to because they pass the law. They can smoke it anywhere. Can you imagine someone lighting up right next to your kids trying to eat? But guess what? We're the crazy ones. That's normal now. They strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Let's legalize marijuana so everybody can smoke. But let's put 10 cents on bags. Let's legalize marijuana where little, you know, oh, you, if, if little kids smoke cigarettes, don't you think they're going to be able to smoke marijuana? But we're crazy. We're the ones that's losing it. And it says, for love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that, listen, that if one died for all, then all died. And he who died for all, that is those who live, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, let me explain to you something. A lot of times we say, for God so loved the world, right? And then we tell our friends, Jesus loves you and he died for you, right? And we say, God loves every, God died for the world. God died for the world. For God so loved the world. He died, he, he, he was crucified 2,000 years ago. What if I told you he specifically died for you? See, the problem is with Christians, we don't take it personal. When it is a personal death that he died for one, he died for all, he died for me. And I guarantee you, your attitude would change if you realize that Jesus died for you specifically. Yes, he died for all, but he had you in mind specifically. He had you in mind specifically. He had you in mind specifically. Jesus died for you. You understand? As all the people who abandoned you and all the people that hurt you and all the people that, you know, that you thought loved you, listen, they, that's not true love. True love would die for you. That's love. And the reason why you're here tonight, because he loves you. He never abandons. He never cheats on you. He never rejects you. He always blesses. He always protects. And if you realize the gruesome death of Jesus, the way he was butchered and, and he was beaten for, you know, he was beaten for all of the world. No, he was beaten for you specifically. And if you would take it personal, your attitude would change tonight. If you would take it particularly, your, your, you know what, your mind would change tonight. You would begin to understand that he died for me. How dare I complain? 
I'm having a bad day, Jesus. You know, I got a flat tire. Who cares you got a flat tire? He died for you. I'm so mad I have to work two more hours. You know, I just don't understand it, Jesus. Jesus gave you the job. He died for you. I gotta, oh, I got to go to church tonight. I should be doing laundry. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. Let me tell you something. He specifically died for you. Who, who else would die for you? Some of you had some boyfriends that said, I'll die for you. Sure they would. Some of you had some girlfriends. Oh, you're my, my boyfriend. You're forever. Yeah, sure he is. He's not, you're not, you never even heard of him anymore. But he, but he got what he wanted. And she got what she wanted. How many of you have a best friend since high school? He's my best BFF. You're still in high school, right? You're out. He's my best friend. She's my best friend. Everybody's your friend until you, do, you cross them or something goes wrong. But you know what I'm saying? How many times have you crossed Jesus and he never left you nor forsake you? And when you're sitting here and you're complaining about, you know, oh, i got to give 10%. Keep your 10%. He gave 100% on the cross. 100% of his life was for you specifically. Hey, he had your name. Your name. Not your friend's name. Not your wife's name. Not your husband's name. But your name specifically. And if you would understand that, if you would take in it that he personally died for you, you wouldn't be the way you are tonight. Your attitude would change. And you know what? You would go crazy because you would realize, I cannot believe somebody loves me that much. You know what? As much as I love my wife, I will let her down. And sometimes, guess what? I don't feel like loving her. Oh, that's rude. That's rude. I'm pretty sure she doesn't feel like loving me either sometimes. How many people are married? How many people just look at each other and say, oh, I just, man, I just, I'm in gaga with you. Or sometimes when they, you know, get on your nerves, like, oh, my goodness, just get out of here. Anybody? How many love your kids? All the time, right? Huh? All the time, especially when they're bad. You just, man, I can't wait till you get bad so I can love you more. Go ahead and smart mouth me so I can just hug you. What if I told you that Jesus doesn't change? He never feels that way. He's patient with us. He's kind with us. He's compassionate with us. That's how much he loves you. Therefore, from now on, turn your neighbor and say, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we have known him thus no longer. Now listen to this. Therefore, if anyone who's in Christ, he's a new creation. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Let me explain to you something. In other words, quit making excuses. You're a new creation. You have a new mind. You have a new attitude. You have a new way of thinking. You have a new way of living. You have a new way of, of acting. Come on, somebody. You, you quit making excuses. You know what? One time when I was working at a Total Fitness back in the day, you know, I, I, I did something crazy. I mean, I mean, I was, I, I don't know. I just lost it. I was like working like 12 hours and I got in the microphone and said, you know, I, I got in the, the microphone and I said, um, uh, free hamburgers for the first 10 people and everybody kept running and, and they start running and Somebody, uh, somebody that was working with me, he wrote me up. He's under me. 
He was a, I was a manager, night manager, and he was just, and he, got, he said, you shouldn't have done that. I'm writing you up. I'm like, dude, you're not going to write me up, are you? And he, he wrote me up, and I had to talk to the supervisor. And I told the supervisor, you know what? I go, I don't know. I'm just human. And he says, didn't you say you're a Christian? I said, yeah, but I'm no saint. He goes, but listen, what do you mean you're no saint? Didn't you say you're a Christian? Didn't you say you believe in Jesus? In other words, he said, quit making excuses for your stupidity. He says, as a Christian, you should know better. And you know what? As Christians, we should know better. We, but the thing is, we have always taught excuses. We've been taught it from Adam. It's not my fault. It's the wife that you gave me. And since then, we've been taught excuses. But let me tell you something. We are new creations in Christ. Jesus lives within us. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit counsels us. And listen, when you really want to get the right answer, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to God's word. Quit, quit being, listen, quit playing dumb. How many times have we said, I didn't know that? Yes, you did. You know better, right? And you wonder why your kids use excuses. Someone said, we can't use excuses anymore. He says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of what? He has given us the ministry of what? He has given to who? He has given to who? The ministry of what? Reconciliation. You know what the you know what the Bible says that God hates those who sow discord amongst the brethren. God doesn't hate too many things, but He definitely hates this: those who cause division in the church, those who cause division at home, those who cause division. All listen, God hates those things. God has called us to be peacemakers. God has called us to reconcile people back to the Lord. We're reconcilers. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Listen, the reason why I'm here tonight is because I seen some lady uh, about 30 years ago talk to herself. That's why I'm here tonight. A lady that did not make excuses. A, A lady that loved God to the very end of her last breath. And the reason why I preach to you tonight, because I know if it worked for her, it worked for me, it could work for you. A lady that kept her family together regardless of what was going on. And a lady right now is right now hanging out with pops, waiting for us. That is God was in Christ, reconciled the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, And has committed to us the word of what? Now then, we are what? Ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, what is he saying? We are ambassadors. Can you imagine that we are ambassadors? Let me tell you something. One thing about ambassadors, they have immunity. But let me tell you something. They represent the country. Even though they have immunity, you hear it sometimes. This ambassador went out and did some crazy stuff. He's supposed to be the ambassador of this. He's supposed to be the ambassador. I cannot believe he's the one that's representing that country. 
But listen, let me tell you something. You're representing more than a country. You're representing God himself. You are ambassadors. You are ambassadors. When they see you, they should see Christ. After all, we call ourselves Christians. And this is why the world says, yeah, that's supposed to be a Christian? He wants me to go to his church? What kind of representation is he of his church or of Jesus? Do you know that we can learn from that? When you go to church, when you go to work tomorrow, yes, you are a whatever you do. But first of all, you're a Christian. If you're a plumber, you're a Christian plumber. If you're a banker, you're a Christian banker. Whatever you are, you're a Christian first. You're an ambassador first. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you're an ambassador of your home. You're an ambassador of Jesus. Your kids look at you. Let me be you, as an ambassador, if you're a stay-at-home mom, your house should be clean. Because that represents who you are. Hello, that represents who you are. If you're a stay-at-home dad, Mr. Mom, then your house should be clean. Because you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, God is looking at you. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's a scripture found in Mark chapter 21. I want to turn there. Worship team, come on up. It says, but when he, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hands of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. We're talking about Jesus here. If people don't recognize that you're out of your mind, then maybe you really don't know who Jesus is. If people just, because if the world is going this way and they go, she's crazy, she's going that way, she's going the wrong way. He's going the wrong way. Everybody else is going this way. Everybody else is, let me tell you something, everybody's doing this. Why are they, you know why they're crazy, they're different, they're not, they're weird. And if they don't see that, because you're going along with the crowd. Jesus never went along with the crowd. He only went what his father told him to do. And he was a representation of God. Yes, he was God, but he represented his father. He always gave his father glory. He says, I only do the things that my father asked me to do. And they wanted to lay hands on him because they said, this Jesus is out of his mind. You know, the crazy thing is some of you used to be out of your mind for Jesus. And all of a sudden you got sane. I find that interesting. Yeah, I don't, you know, tell everybody about Jesus no more. I don't really, I don't, they'll see it by my, um, my bumper sticker. They'll see it because I wear a cross. They'll know that I'm a Christian because... 
I'll pray for my food when I eat. I don't know about you, but when someone's an ambassador, they, they want to brag about their whatever they're ambassador of. They want to represent they want to represent that thing they're they're an ambassador of and say, you know what?